The Circle, a novel by Ed Adams. Esther. Chuck, Bixie and Tom sat on rocks a few yards from the car. The shelter of the rocks around the cave worked well to provide efficient cooling. Bixie realized that Mike had an excellent desert craft to find this spot but couldn't help wondering if there was any undesirable wildlife in the neighborhood. Okay, said Chuck, I ran through this yesterday with Mike, who seems to know less than me about what has been happening. He'll be back any time now, I guess. I doubt if he'd spend much time at the motel. As if on cue, they could hear a car approaching. It did a complicated maneuver, so it was facing back along the track. Hey Mike, called Chuck, look who is here. Mike looked up and then bounded towards Tom, Atsatahoma, Tom, it's been a long time. They hugged, slapping each other on the backs. So, are you still tracking out here asked Mike, working for the military. Yes, said Tom, they seem to need a lot of help. Well, it's brilliant to see you, said Mike, but hey, I don't want to interrupt. I could hear Chuck spinning some kind of yarn. Chuck smiled. Yes, it's what I was telling you yesterday, Mike. I'm bringing Tom and Bigsy, up to date. Chuck continued with his story. Ben Leitzman, an associate of mine and Mike's from Project Esther, was killed in a boating accident. I knew about this, although Mike didn't. And Bigsy, I know what you were thinking, a boating accident by itself may not be suspicious. And I'd agree. A tragedy, but there is a reason for my apparent paranoia about it though. Ben had tried to contact me just before this happened. It was indirect, in that he had notified me via a postcard from his hometown. It wasn't sent to me either, he didn't know how to get to me except via an ancient post box number. Chuck added, Ben's approach was a perfect tradecraft way to tell that something was out of the ordinary. Just a card, out of the blue, but with a way to contact Ben. It would be a classic call me type message. Although, because of my circumstances, it took two weeks to reach me. Not just the US postal system then said Big C, and why you? And did he tell anyone else he noticed a small lizard flick across a boulder? Chuck smiled. Completely safe here, he said, except for the scorpions. Bigsy flinched. It's okay in the daytime. They are night creatures looking for spiders and bugs. And don't expect ones like you see in the movies six inches long. These little critters are more likely to be a couple of inches at most. My advice is just don't be looking under any rocks. Mike was nodding his head. Yes. There's only one critter that's bad called the bark. It looks kind of transparent straw-colored and packs a punch. But we should be fine here. If you see any big ones like four inches or more, then they are the hairy desert kind. They also have a darker colored body. Chuck said, now you know why I had that black light last night. It wasn't to show up your dandruff, just to look out for the critters. Bixie could feel his toes curling inward as he heard about these unexpected co-residents of the area. Mike continued, and no, I got nothing from Ben or anyone else. Just the request to come to Scottsdale, which I thought was from Chuck. That's also why I was scouting before I made contact. In case there was another dimension to this. Looks as if I was right and that someone is out to get us. Yes, 
There's a group of us, said Chuck. You know something Bixie, what I'm about to tell you is sensitive. Tom knows too, because of the work he did with us when we were at the base. I'll only tell you enough to give you context, but I don't want to put you in more danger by knowing more than you need. Bixie nodded. Chuck looked at Mike. Are you okay with this Mike asked Chuck. Sure, said Mike, Bixie is your contact, and if you've hauled him from the UK then I guess he must be alright. Mike was reaching into his jacket for something. Okay, continued Chuck, glancing towards Mike's jacket pocket, here's the situation. The reason I asked you and Claire to come to Scottsdale is also no coincidence. Mike can confirm that this location, or should I say the hotel we were in, used to be a bolt hole that some of us know about from work we did together a few years ago. Mike was lighting a cigarette. Bixie noticed as Mike replaced the shiny Marlboro package inside his jacket. How come said Chuck? That's new. I used to, then I stopped. Then I fell into some bad company, I guess, said Mike. The smoke drifted, and Bixie wondered why it was trailing towards him. Chuck continued, it's like this. We're just over the state line here from New Mexico, and you may know that's where some of the big deserts provide space to try out new U.S. military ideas. Mike and Ben and I and another few of us were part of a project a few years ago which was testing some new defense technology. There are some big ranges in New Mexico that can be used for missile testing and it provided perfect cover for some of the things we were doing. Bixie asked, so was what you were doing legitimate? Was it part of something you were doing for the U.S. government? Bixie, yes it was legit and for the DOD. U.S. Army Intelligence employed Mike and me. Tom was employed too, in manner of speaking. It was an offshoot of a special unit called IARPA which stands for Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Agency. We both had special assignments to look after some of the more specialized and secret projects. Bixie nodded. He noticed that Mike was now stubbing out his cigarette with his boot. Bixie said, so what were you doing there? Were you guarding the area or something else? Mike chuckled. He was already rummaging for another cigarette. Not exactly, said Chuck, we were there to try out the technology. I think you know that I've been involved with several missions inside and on the edges of what the US government does. This time, we were trying out some new weaponry supposed to be for use by some of our elite forces. Mike Ban and I were all part of a team that was involved in the testing. In effect, we were the users of this equipment. So, what did it do asked Bixie. The project was called Esther. I think the simplest way to describe it is that it was a kind of guided rocket system. The jargon name we used for this was Spot Rockets. They are a kind of guided missile that can be fired with remarkable accuracy. It works by putting an identifying homing beacon onto the target. Most targets don't take to being identified in that way, so there's another aspect. They make the homing signal to be a tiny unit which can be hidden. It works by pre-locating the homing beacon well ahead of the deployment of the missile. But surely the homing device needs to create quite a big signal asked Bixie, just the battery packs alone plus the transmitter would make it large. That was what made this clever, said Chuck, the technology used leveraged other technologies to make itself work. It used a device like a SIM card from a phone and a tiny aerial to hook itself into either a cellular network or a Wi-Fi environment. In effect, it was piggybacking on someone else's communications infrastructure.
I see, said Big C. It could use the effect of wide cellular and Wi-Fi coverage to transmit. It still doesn't explain how it could work for a long time without a big battery. Sending out a signal would still use a fair amount of power. That was a clever part, said Chuck. They had made the homing identifiers the same size as paperback books. There was quite a lot of technology in a tiny space. First, there was a little computer. Then there was a little battery pack. And third there was a wire-wrapped aerial that looped around the inside edges of the unit. Like a square shape. At the time we all thought this was a cool technology said Mike. Chuck added, what I remember is that the units produced sent out a very slow pulse. They designed it for something like four pulses per day, to conserve battery. It was only trying to find out if it had been woken up. I see, said Big C. Low battery use running a timer like on a watch and then an occasional big pulse to see if they had woken it. Yes, Big C I can see you are still the computer geek I remember, said Chuck. The pulses were to find Wi-Fi or a cellular network and to see if the device was pulled. Every device had a unique identifier and only if it was called upon would it then power up into its targeting state. Brilliant, said Big C, it would mean the battery could last one to two years, and still be able to run at full strength for maybe an hour or two. Exactly, said Chuck, it was a way to deploy very stealthy targeting devices which could be powered up when needed. And what could they be used for asked Big C. There are more moving parts than I can describe, continued Chuck, for example, the payload that can be delivered is configurable by this system. It's used to drive targeting of anything from a small tactical rocket launcher right through to firing armaments from something like an F-15 fighter plane. Mike nodded, yes, we got to test some cool things out in the desert. Although we were only allowed to make tiny bangs. It's much the same here nowadays, just the names of things change added Tom. Mike and Chuck grinned. Mike added, the delivery system missile or rocket needs to have the guidance capability to work with this device. That's what we were testing out in the Mojave Desert a few years ago. Yes, said Chuck, the transponder technology worked pretty well, and it relied upon being able to upload the coordinates of the small device to the guidance system. The cool part was that we could also use it for moving targets once we had activated it. That's another reason why the devices are only activated just before use. It helps avoid detection. Bigsy asked, so did these devices get made? Only the prototypes. There were still problems ironing out the linkages between the missile systems and the small transponders. It worked well with a reasonably sophisticated system like the payload you'd get on an F-15 or a big drone but was sketchy with smaller weapons like the field launchers. There was the main problem with the speed of response of the targeting over short distances. If you fire something from close by, there isn't time to change its direction. It is basic physics that you need some distance and a reaction time. It is like trying to make a bullet turn through 90 degrees. So, the DoD viewed it as a problem. The people sponsoring the research for this system wanted to use it for battlefield systems rather than long-range systems. They already have all kinds of satellite technology to do the same things for the long-range. Big C looked at Chuck. But isn't this a Pandora's box? Once the transponder technology has been developed it could define targets anywhere? They could lay dormant for a long time and then be activated. That's true, but without the payload part working properly. It wouldn't be viable, answered Chuck, 
and that was the area still being developed when the program got canned. That's right, added Mike, one minute everything was being tested and then everything just stopped. I think other technologies had overtaken this one and made it irrelevant. Yes, it was a budget cut decision, said Chuck. In typical government style, they were running multiple programs with similar aims. It was a bunch of advisors that came in, and the result was a cut. DOD decided this was a dead-end technology and had been superseded by more rapid response targeting. The long delays before the targeting system could be activated, the erratic nature of cellular coverage and so on killed the whole idea. Project Esther was shut down over a weekend. Mike chipped in, yes, so Project Esther was quietly terminated, and we were all released with the usual heavy-duty secrecy agreements. And how many of you did you say there were involved with this asked Pixie? There was only an internal team of six of us working on the user and testing aspects, and that included Mike Ban and myself. But altogether there were probably around 35 people involved including the technicians and the scientists who were putting all of this together. Bigsy asked, so is someone trying to get at you now because of this project? Chuck and Mike nodded. Mike was on his next cigarette. He replied, we're guessing that that is the least part of the reason. But some of it doesn't make complete sense because we are the people testing the weapons rather than the people inventing them. Bixie watched as Mike fiddled with a few branches that he had made into a small pyramid shape. Then Mike took his cigarette lighter from his pocket. Bixie noticed that it seemed to have a high setting, more like a minor blowtorch. In seconds the wood was on fire. It's not to keep us warm, said Mike, it's time for some proper coffee. He walked to the back of the car and returned with a small coffee pot. You have to have some creature comforts out here, he said. I know that pot, smiled Chuck. You know one that looked very similar, said Mike. We don't look like a very obvious target, and, we are also harder to eliminate than a few scientists. I suppose we are the ones who use the stuff, but that's less interesting than the people who designed it. My thinking too, said Chuck, I'd have thought the people who know how to build it would be of greater interest than the people who have handled the systems. Although ironically, I suppose the individual scientists and designers wouldn't be as easy to round up as we seem to have been. Mike nodded, yes, the scientists and designers will have dispersed. Some went to Seattle, others to Washington, some to Chicago. Maybe a few to Houston. They will all have been reassigned to other projects. So how did you first get involved with this asked Pixie? It was routine for me, said Chuck. And I guess so for you too Mike? The military needed a group of professionals who could operate a wide range of weapons and didn't mind sleeping in the middle of the desert for weeks on end. We even had a cover story that we were just testing a new short-range missile in the desert. In that part of the country it is no big deal. They even set up a company as a spin-off of Lockheed, and gave the missile a name, Adonal. Sounds like a headache tablet, said Bixie. Oh, it's a headache for someone all right, said Chuck. Mike added, and that's why I guessed we were using Scottsdale as our meeting point. Mike had been making the coffee. The pot had a traditional percolator which he had arranged over the fire. Bixie noticed it was like a little ceremony. First, Mike had taken the coffee and pressed it into the metal container in the pot. Then he had rigged the pot so that it could brew the coffee. And finally, he had poured the coffee into three metal mugs. 
I know this is the Starbuck generation, said Mike, but you, Mr. Englishman, need to try some proper cowboy coffee too. Mike smiled as he passed the mugs around. When we all worked on the project, we would sometimes have some downtime. Then we'd get away from the base and out of the desert. It was better for us to do this under some kind of cover and we would usually go to Scottsdale to that rather nice hotel as a nearby base where we could let off some steam. We used to call it the convention center. It was where we had our quote sales meetings. He moved his hands to make the symbol of quotation marks in the air. We would use the time to play golf and mess around but needed some cover and for it to be far enough away from the missile ranges not to cause suspicion. It's only about two or three hours drive, but it's amazing that just crossing a state line somehow changes everyone's perspective about who we are and what we were doing. I see, said Big C, so you'd go to Scottsdale or Phoenix, but you wouldn't go to say Albuquerque. Way too near to the base, said Mike. Albuquerque would be filled with other people involved in the business that would be conducted at the ranges. It was also just next to Kirtland, which has a huge Air Force base and the nearby Albuquerque International Airport. I get it, chuckled Bixie. It's like not going to the nearest pub to the office when you are in London. But the distances are so much greater in America. He looked at Chuck and Mike and laughed. You Brits have such a strange sense of humor, said Mike. He smiled and winked towards Chuck, you know something? We were talking about the scorpions earlier. Did I mention the spiders? We have some cool spiders here too. Mm -hmm.